I think even the people that say they are passive investors are actually active. They just don't think about it as much. Not only is the index have some level of activity, but they're tweaking their portfolios. Mm -hmm. So when I hear active, it's not just individual management, it's also portfolio management as well. So active, I think applies to all of it, whether it's passive or what we would call an active management fund. And for our world, I, I think a reasonable approach is core and satellite. Uh, that's what I'm most comfortable with. Part of it is that's how I grew up in the business. Welcome to the Active Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Harbor Capital. Join us as we learn from pros who have helped thousands of investors live better lives. I'm Brian Moore, and I'll be chatting with some of the brightest minds in the financial advisory business, bringing you insights on practice management and investment research that works for advisors and their clients. Joining me today on this episode of the Active Advisor Podcast is Ross Marino, CFP, CEFT, Ross has been a financial advisor for 30 plus years. He's an author, social entrepreneur, and founder of Transitus Wealth Partners, a fee-only financial planning firm specializing in human-first financial guidance. Ross also founded Advisor 2X, which is a professional development company for financial advisors. He hosts over 50 podcasts and YouTubes each year and recently published his first book, Shaping Change, How to Respond When Life Disrupts Your Retirement Plans. In May of this year, Ross was nominated as a finalist for Thought Leader of the Year by Wealth Management for their Wealthies Award in the Individual RAA Firm Leader category. Wow, Ross, I'm already tired and just reading your kind of accomplishments this year. You're making some of us feel like underachievers. Welcome and thanks for joining us. So glad to be here. Appreciate it. Before we get started, I touched on a lot there with you know all your achievements and founding two firms, hosting podcasts, and a new book. Do you ever get a chance to sleep, relax? How do you unplug? I'm actually militant about sleep, so I, I track it. I do seven hours. Uh, really, for me, the key, and, and everybody's different, but for me, it's making sure I get up at 4 a.m. So those first few hours of the day, for me, are hyper-productive. Uh, as long as I can do that, I, I tend to get a lot done. If, if I don't, then uh, it's, it's a little more of a struggle during the day. No, I can only imagine. Uh, so I'm guessing a lot of the listeners already know the answer here, but for anyone who hasn't heard your story before, could you tell us a little bit about your first memory you have related to money or investing? I was always fascinated with business. Uh, didn't know how fascinated I appeared to people around me. And I guess that became real in the ninth grade for my birthday. I received a gift of Money Magazine and instantly started reading it, just captivated by business and investing. And, and then after that, ended up getting a subscription to Psychology Today and had that all through high school. So loved money, loved the way the brain worked. And I was kind of a closet geek in that sense. But I started reading and, and trying to understand that stuff back in the ninth grade. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I love the Psychology Today you know, edition. I think a lot of people as a former trader, it really is. And it does come back to that kind of what's everybody thinking? Why are they thinking? You know, and that does definitely kind of shapes um, how advisors and everybody else in the you know in the world reacts. Yeah, and to think we actually thought this was a math business. Yes, right? and, <laughs> exactly. and of course, I I still have my HP twelve C from the the CFP program and knowing formulas and trying to calculate things. And you know, I don't want to say the money doesn't matter that much, but I can say it doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. It's really much more about how people think and make decisions. It really is. It really is. Um, let's keep going with the foundational elements of your story here for a minute. You've done a lot. You do a lot. You've built a lot. Obviously, there are gaps in the advisory landscape that you've identified, whether in the way that advisors engage with their clients or even the ways that advisors engage with each other. 
What were some moments, experiences, or revelations in your earlier career that really helped you kind of identify these gaps and inspired you to address them? In my personal life, I've had a had a few disruptions. I've been a financial planner for, I guess we're coming up on 35 years. And early in my career, I ended up having a back injury. And instead of building a business like a traditional financial planner where you'd go out and have lunches or play golf and actually meet people, I ended up starting my career for the first six years in a room over my garage, mostly lying on the floor on a bunch of pillows or in a big recliner lying all the way back. And I had to build a business over the phone, which the net result of that was you basically barely made it to the next quarter every quarter. And uh, how I actually stayed in the business, I'm not really sure. I, I joke that it was miraculous and say it's not actually cliche because I really have no other explanation. But it, it was a grind for the first six years. And that really teaches you up front that life happens and you may have a, an idea, a plan of what you want to do, but it doesn't work out that way. Uh, and then many years later, my wife and I adopted some children. Our youngest ended up having some special needs, which we didn't know. Uh, it took 13 years to get a diagnosis. And that's a, it's a pretty crazy road and very disruptive. And, and the net effect of that is, is you just don't know what's going to happen next. You can't think 20 years in the future. And I have some other family situations where I really was driven to just focus on now and what's going on now, what decisions do I need to make now? Because really didn't have a clue 20 years down the road. And as you're going through all that, I'm a of course, serving clients and I'm growing up and maturing. And I realize I'm not actually special. This is pretty typical for most human beings. Life keeps happening for everybody. Plans need to keep changing. And you know, here we are as financial planners asking, what's your goal? And at what age do you want to retire? And what do you want to do? And they may not know what they're doing next weekend. And I noticed that, lived it personally, watched it with clients and realized that I have to shift my approach to financial planning. Yeah, no, it is uh, life throws you curveballs without a doubt. And um, if you have kids, as you, you know, just stated, that they keep coming. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and that's always the challenge is regardless of what you're planning and what your expectations are, we spend, I think, much more time responding to what's happening around us and making financial decisions because of what happened, as opposed to being proactive. And yes, we have to save and you know max out your 401k if you can, make sure you have enough insurance. So there's plenty of planning, but so many of the financial decisions that we make, they really are responding to what just happened in life or what's about to happen. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. There have already been some exciting interactions between Harbor's focus on human capital factor and your human first approach, which we've talked about here a little bit. And I, may I make a plug for the May 31st episode of the Advisor 2X show. On that topic, I'd love to hear you talk about why you think a human-first approach is superior to the typical fact-finding proposal plus financial plan process used by so many advisors. We'd love to share that. But, but first, I've got to mention that podcast. I don't think I've ever actually interviewed an asset manager for that podcast. Uh, it's always going to be about the human side of financial planning. But when I read the story and the thought behind what those funds were doing and how they did it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is what we talk about every day. I've got to got to meet these people and I got to do the interview. So I'll plug it as well. It was a, a fascinating interview with Christoph and, and Dr. Airely, whom I uh, have his book. I actually joke, I have two of his books because I read the the, the title and the topic after I'd read it years ago and thought, this book sounds awesome. I got to have that. And I just ordered a second copy. So a fascinating book, great stuff. But I, on our end, you know, we think human first, and it took me many years to get to that point. You'll hear people say we're human centric, we're, we're human focused, we put the client first. All of that's true. And, and what I felt was, is that when people talk that way, sometimes they're including 
the human nature or the person into their process. You know, I'm a human focused or human centric financial planner, which means I'm trying to focus on the person with financial planning. And to me, I kind of missed it when I said that. What I really think we needed to do is think human first. It doesn't minimize financial planning or portfolio management. It just says before we ever have that conversation, let's talk about you. I need to understand what you think and how you feel. I need to understand your story, how you got to this point. That's human first. And that means we approach more conversational when we first start working with people instead of just talking about the data. Nope, I like it and agree. Shifting gears to another hallmark of your approach, I understand that the first meeting you have with a potential client may not look like other first meetings. What's your approach? And maybe before even outlining that, what's the origin story there? Being a financial planner for so many years, I've had experiences that many financial planners have. You sit down with somebody, you meet, you start talking, they ask you a bunch of questions and and I keep answering them. Most of the questions are, well, what do I do about this? And and how do I do this? They're the what and they're the how questions. And of course, I'm answering those questions and I'm feeling great because I think I'm doing what I'm doing. This is my job. This is awesome. We're connecting. Mm -hmm. Well, then after the appointments, a lot of times the people wouldn't follow through. I thought we were connecting. I thought I established credibility. I thought I answered the questions well. Uh, I didn't monologue for five minutes. So I've got to be doing a pretty good job here. But somehow we weren't just connecting and I wasn't having the follow through that you couldn't just blame it on we weren't a good fit. To me, something just wasn't working right because I felt like we were connected. It's one thing when you know you're not a good fit and you think, yeah, this is, we got to shut this meeting down because you're not going to like me. I get it. But you actually thought that you were connected, but it didn't work anyway. And and that's when I try to to look at everything and wonder what's going wrong? What am I missing here? And uh, again, you hear people say, well, they just weren't a good fit. And I thought, you know, that's okay, but I got to call this one out. That's a cop-out. For me to just say that they're not a good fit means I have no idea why this person didn't become my client. So yeah, Obviously, it's got to be you, right? It must couldn't be me because, you know, I'm a CFP and I'm wonderful at what I do. So when I really stepped back and I thought, what is going on here? I eventually realized that I'm just not connecting with the way in the way I think I'm connecting. I'm not Mm -hmm. building trust to a level that would allow them to say, okay, Ross, I want to work with you. Let's move forward. So I tried to just scrap everything right off the bat. And I've got my big questionnaires like everybody else. And I've got all this data. And really, what is the data I want? Let's be honest. It's the stuff I am put into financial planning software. That's what I'm asking for. So it's numbers, it's data points, it's demographics, it's things like that. Or, you know, what do you want to do when you retire so I can attach it to a goal and and think that I'm changing the world? I I said, let's scrap this stuff right off the bat. How can I connect with this person in a way where I understand them and they actually feel heard and understood? So I just came up with four questions. None of them have anything to do with data and barely have anything to do with financial planning. Here's the four questions. What's going on? How did you get here? What are you thinking? And how are you feeling? And I'll unpack those quickly. I even have a coffee cup that says, think, feel, do. Got that from uh, Ashley Kwame, because that's a typical therapy strategy. What are you thinking? How are you feeling before we do anything? Here's how that plays out. What's going on? Not rocket science there. I think every advisor asks that question in one way or another. What brought you in today? You know, why did you want to meet with me today? What's on your mind? What's going on? That's standard. The second question, though, to me, that's actually the magic question. How did you get here is a subjective question that requires an explanation. And that's when someone tells me their story. I don't even give them any parameters. I just say, you know, well, how did you get to this point? Can you help me understand how you got to this point? And they're going to go into decisions that they've made 
circumstances in life, they may go back five years, they may go back 50 years, but they're going to talk. Sometimes they'll talk for 10 or 15 minutes straight. And what I love about this is frequently someone will say, oh, that's probably too much information. I'm just rambling here. And I'll always stop and say, actually, this is exactly the type of information I'd hope you would share. You're doing great. Please go on. The amount of information that they provide during that it is just fantastic because it's the stuff that we need. But more importantly, as they're telling their story, they're reliving all of it. They're feeling, they're bringing up what they were thinking as they go through it. Once I get all that, and I may take a page or two of notes, that's when I shift to the final two questions. And the key to the final two is, is I do them together. So, well, based on all that, or that's a lot, thanks for sharing whatever my transition statement is. In light of that, you know, what are you thinking and how are you feeling now? Now, if I would just ask, what are you thinking? They would only share the decisions they're facing. If I would just ask, how are you feeling? Maybe they answer it deeply. Maybe they connect the dots. But when I put those two questions together, so what are you thinking and how are you feeling? I can tell you in my experience that prospects and clients answer those questions 100% of the time. Everybody tells me what they're thinking and everybody tells me how they're feeling. If you study how the brain works, then you eventually learn that emotions are the base, the foundation of every decision that we make. Everything's founded and driven by an emotion. I've got to get to that point. Well, when I do that, those four questions, it may take 20 or 30 minutes there aren't even any numbers that were really thrown out. I didn't ask any questions with numbers, but now when you get to that point, people feel heard, they feel understood, and now they're able to trust me because I actually get them. I didn't do that 10, 20, 30 years ago, but now that I do it, it's a whole different dynamic in a meeting with a prospect or a client. No, I can only imagine. I mean, to me, it sounds like you're connecting with your clients and prospects on a different level. Uh, I'm I'm sure that had some kind of translation to the experience, the significant growth that you've had in part of your business. Uh, can you touch on the role that referrals have played as part of this growth? Well, I, I would have to say that referrals are significant because literally we do no marketing. Um, the last marketing event I did, I think was 2004. Um, I, I did a private dinner about 10 years ago for a group that invited me in to speak to them. None of them became clients. So I'm going to act like that would never happen. Um, so other, other than the one that, and obviously it wasn't a good fit because, you know, it was them. Uh, but I, I actually did a real marketing one back in 2004. Haven't done anything since then. And a lot is because I, I put activities into uh, or energy into my outside business activity. So everything is just based on referrals. But the reason we get referrals is I know because we actually connected with people because no one is going to refer someone to me by saying, you know, I think Ross is really smart and I don't understand what he's talking about half the time, but he cares. You should call him right? said by no one ever that that's not how it works. Or if I use a lot of jargon or I show a bunch of charts, whatever I do, anything that they don't understand, they're not going to say, yeah, he, I, I just think he's great. He's bright or whatever. So you can trust him. They're going to talk about how we connect or my story or how I related to mm -hmm. their story. That's how you generate the referrals. And it's, I guess, whatever coming up on 20 years where we really haven't done any formal marketing other than rebranding and redoing a website about five or six years ago, but yet we still get consistent referrals. No, I can only imagine. And, and for good reason. Um, so we're going to shift gears and talk about shift. You host the annual shift conference. What is the focus? What's the program like? And what can someone expect to benefit by attending? And pardon the puns there. Uh, I think it's great. The, the shift conference we just launched this year, part of it is really just the shift within the industry. I think most people connected to financial planning and wealth management realize that the foundation of financial planning 
really is shifting towards human first. It's infused in how we invest. It's certainly infused in one of your funds and one of your process there. And it's also in the financial planning. It's not just the behavioral finance and understanding biases. It's actually connecting with people so you can meet them where they're at and really connect with them. So from the shift standpoint, uh, I'm actually not a speaker at shift. We created the conference. All I do is the opening welcome address on day one and day two. There are people and organizations that have been leading the charge with this type of topic and this type of information for literally decades. And they do amazing work. It's Brian Portnoy at Shaping Wealth, Susan Bradley at the Financial Transitionist Institute, Amy Mullen at Money Quotient, Sarah Falah at Data Points. These are organizations that have tools and resources. They have been training advisors to really go deep and understand how their clients think and how they make decisions. The whole goal of Shift is to bring all of these people together. So my role is really as a curator and a connector. That's how we view it. So we bring these people together. We did it for the first year. Uh, we knew there were a lot of advisors that loved it. We knew the people out there that were teaching it and, and making a difference in the industry were excited about it, but it was a first year conference. So you just never know. Uh, we ended up with 339 people coming, uh, sold out the room block. We were had standing room only in most of the rooms, which I just apologized to everybody and said, I'm sorry, we thought this would be cool, but yeah, sorry, <laughs> we didn't quite know. So it, it was literally standing room only. So much bigger rooms next year, by the way. So we're prepared for it. But any advisor that really believes that connecting with someone on the human level, understanding how they think and make decisions, and then connecting that to the investment process and to the financial planning process, if you believe that's important, then shift is a place you should be. You said before you fell in love with investing at an early age. So I'd love to spend a minute on how you build investment research and portfolio construction into all the other things you must do as an entrepreneur and advisor. Are there external resources, platforms, or research providers that you weave into the investment side of your business? Mostly we we use Orion. We use the platform and communities and all of uh, what's available within there. Uh, but for our end, we look at portfolios. We like to look at models uh, and we figure out kind of, and I know we can talk about it in a little bit more of a core and a satellite approach to it. Uh, but there, there's a lot of research out there. We're mostly going to use Orion at this point as kind of a launching pad and mm -hmm. then go directly to the different providers that we want to learn more about. Gotcha. And thinking about your human first approach, what is the skill that you believe an advisor starting out in their journey today should focus on developing? Empathy. There's no question. It is the number one skill for me to be able to understand and really relate to what you're feeling is going to allow me to connect with you and really be in a place where instead of judging or thinking what's best for you from my brain, I can actually understand where you're at and be able to help you. As somebody who started out and kind of really root myself more in the trading background, um, I would love to hear your take because I've, I've been on the asset management side now a couple of years, and I'm sure several of our listeners have as well. If we were to look to take a scale from zero to 100, where would you put, I guess, the mathematics side, the financial construction side, and the empathy side, and really understanding and relating to your clients and, and knowing how to, to put that in? If you could kind of break that down for us into a percentage um, if it's possible, would love to hear it. Yeah, that that is that is a neat question. So I'm going to say human first is the 50%, and the other part is the 50% as well. So I don't 
I'm not, in, you heard me say it earlier, I'm not saying it's more important than the other areas or the other areas aren't as important as ever. It's yep. just the sequence. It's human first. If we do that first, then we can do the other parts. But I, in my world, they're equally important. Uh, our firm, the RIA, there's a logo with a T and a W. The T is for the transitions in life and how life happens. The W is for your wealth. They're equal. Uh, yep. And to us, it's part of it. There's the human side. There's the technical side. It's always the same. They're equally important. No, I agree. It, it's just, I think, you know, and you've mentioned that you've touched on it num at numerous times here. I think we've come into probably within the past decade, two, two decades, maybe. Um, and you, you know, again, you know, love to hear your thoughts on this. We now are starting to actually understand that, that the human approach and kind of empathy and everything else really plays a big part in this. Whereas before, you know, you had the movies and there was a different culture. Um, yeah, it's, it's really something that I know I take to heart and I know, you know, the folks at Harbor do, um, you know, where do you think is going to be kind of the next 20 years? Yeah, I, I spend probably way too much time thinking about that. Uh, one exercise I did is 10 years from now, there's going to be conferences and there will be top advisors or top producers sitting on the stage telling you, here's what I'm doing because advisors love that. We're, we have a conference business and they love that. So I kind of went through a kind of a brainstorm or I call them question storming sessions of not what are they doing 10 years from now to put them on the stage, but what are they doing today. What are they doing now that over the next five, 10 years are going to separate them from all the other RIAs and financial planners? To me, that's the long-term approach. What are you doing now that is going to progressively grow and mm -hmm. it's going to go deeper and deeper that will allow you to dominate whatever your market is 10, 20 years from now? And to me, it's, it's just as simple as human first of looking at the people that come in and say they're not a prospect or a business owner or a divorcee or a man or uh, someone who inherited something or a business owner or whatever labels we put on them, it is a human. And now I need to take a blank slate and understand who this human is, how they think, how they feel, what matters most to them, and then apply that to the financial planning and the investment process. The people that are doing that today, I think they're the dominators 10, 20 years from now. And frankly, 10, 20 years from now, financial planning will be human first financial guidance. I think the whole industry is transforming right in front of our eyes. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. One last question before we wrap up this segment. We at Harbor believe wholeheartedly in active management, but every financial professional has their own take. What's your philosophy and where does active matter most? I think even the people that say they are passive investors are actually active. They just don't think about it as much. Not only is the index have some level of activity, but they're tweaking their portfolios. Mm -hmm. So when I hear active, it's not just individual management, it's also portfolio management as well. So active, I think, applies to all of it, whether it's passive or what we would call an active management fund. And for our world, I, I think a reasonable approach is core and satellite. Uh, that's what I'm most comfortable with. Part of it is that's how I grew up in the business. So maybe someone starting out today might see it a little bit differently, but I think trying to combine them instead of the, should you be active, should you be passive, I can't help saying, well, passive really isn't passive because you don't set it and forget it. And we all know that. We're like, well, I know, but Agreed. it's not a but. It's You may have passive indexes, but your portfolio management has a level of activity in there. So figure out how to combine them. Core and satellite is the way we approach it. When I was with Wisdom Tree, we had Joe Coughlin uh, as a speaker several times from MIT. Yes. Um, and he was rattling off and he would give this presentation and he would rattle off how, how advisors don't talk to women, how advisors don't talk to kids. And you, your mind, or at least mine did kind of 
as a trader, you're trying to like quantify all this stuff. And you're like, wow. And he said the most, one of the most, and so he interviewed, I want to say 6,000 advisors. And he said the most successful one built, went to, took six months off, went to Italy or France for cooking school, somewhere in Europe, came back, built a kitchen in their office. And so when he would get potential clients, he would invite the entire family. He would cook them a meal and it wouldn't be about portfolios. It wouldn't be about, it was about the family learning about each individual person and the kids. I mean, he's like, I don't care if they're two, I, I want them there and learned everything about them. And then you could decide, okay, after all of that, now I've got a better sense. Now, if you want to talk, we can talk about finances, but otherwise now I think I can understand your dynamic and how that's going to relate and really just listening to you where you want to end up and where you want your kids to end up. And, you know, and I thought that was such a much better way than, you know, what is it time you want to retire? What do you do? What are your, you know, what is this? What's your savings account look like? You know, so uh, yeah, it is definitely something I'm, I'm you know, it, it, I, I can't believe more people don't look at the world this way. Yeah, I think one of the things without monologuing on it is the salespeople have been doing this for years, and that made people like me and many other planners resistant because we knew it was just marketing or manipulation. We're like, you're not, you're just schmoozing the people. And, yeah. and we we kind of thumbed our nose at it to our detriment, not understanding that it isn't just about the sales stuff. We actually have to connect with the people much deeper than we understood before. So it's part of it, but I, I, people are getting it now. Nope, I agree. It's been a pleasure. There were so many things that were popping through my head as I watched some of the other YouTubes. There's so many things I kind of wanted to ask. And, and it's kind of a niche, um, I wouldn't say field, but it's kind of been something that's interested me, um, you know, the more I've kind of spent time on the asset management side. So I apologize for some of the stuttering, but you know, kind of things are popping in my head. I'm like, oh, okay, no, I got to read this. Let me get back to this. So. No, I appreciate that. And what's neat is, is we're all kind of in the same place. We were classically trained. So yes. we're investment management or we're financial planners, but we're all getting it that yeah. we've got to really understand the people. So it is, it's fascinating to so many of us. And again, that's why we do shift. I'm the curator. We just bring all those people together because we're all over the place. A lot of us realize that this is it. We've got to figure this out. So it's a lot of fun. Well, and I think that really translates into, you know, a couple of years back, everybody was worried about robos. They're going to take over the world where they're going to take over this. And I, I'm sitting back looking, I'm like, no, people like dealing with people. <laughs> I mean, computers can do a lot of things, but this is a human business, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether you want to admit it or not in Silicon Valley, this is a human business. People like dealing with people and there hasn't been an AI invented yet that can understand the intricacies of you know the human mind. So yeah, people need to be heard. They need to be understood. And that's how they connect with you so they can trust you. And at least today, the AI can't do that. Uh, lastly, how can people find you? Your social media sites with your website? You can find us on Twitter. Just search my name, Ross Marino on Twitter. You can search my name on YouTube. Uh, we have, I think, close to 500 videos and interviews on our YouTube channel there. Uh, if you want to go directly to Shift and learn about that conference, the web address is humanfirst.live, humanfirst.live. And it'll give you all the information for next year's, but also show the agenda we just had a few months ago. And you'll figure out if it's something good for you. Perfect. All right, let's move on to my favorite part, 60 Seconds with Ross Marino. I'll ask a series of rapid fire questions for you to respond to. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
Nickname. I am known as Daddy Pig. Okay. Favorite podcast that is not one of yours. Humans versus Retirement by Dan Halet. Best book about investing finance that's also not one of yours. Geometry of Wealth by Brian Portnoy. Profession if you weren't an advisor or entrepreneur. <laughs> or entrepreneur? Homeless. Yes. Messy desk or clean desk? Oh, clean. Human first or pet first? Human first, but in the home, it's apparently pet first. Your favorite part of the shift conference? Eavesdropping on people's conversations. Ideal question to statement ratio for an advisor. Double whatever I think it is. CNBC or Bloomberg? Bloomberg, website only. Your moonshot get as a speaker at Shift. Morgan Housel. 60-40 portfolio, a classic or a relic? Classic. Favorite way to get active? Uh, tennis. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just getting started, the Active Advisor brought to you by Harbor Capital offers professional insights for the financial advisor community. Visit us at harborcapital.com to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to the Active Advisor on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on investment trends, tried and tested research methods, and what your industry peers are up to. From all of us at Harbor Capital, thanks for tuning in. And now for important disclosures. This material is for informational purposes and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of 9th of June 2023 and are subject to change. The opinions expressed by the speakers do not necessarily represent the views of Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive and are not guaranteed as to accuracy. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. Such information may include, among other things, projections and forecasts. There is no guarantee that any of these views will come to pass. This material may not be representative of the experience of other individuals. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the viewer. This material is not legal, tax or accounting advice. Please consult with a qualified professional for this type of advice. Investing involves risk including the risk of loss. Stock markets are volatile and equity values can decline significantly in response to adverse issuer, political, regulatory, market and economic conditions. Fixed income investments are affected by interest rate changes and the creditworthiness of issuers. As interest rates rise, the values of fixed income securities are likely to decrease. Specific companies and issuers are mentioned for educational purposes only and should not be deemed a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Any companies mentioned do not necessarily represent current or future holdings of any investment products. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. This material is prepared by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. is not affiliated with Advisor2x. All trademarks or product names mentioned herein are the property of their respective owners. Copyright 2023 Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. 
all rights reserved.